Hi, and welcome to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation focused on youth mental health. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to let you all know that all content that is found in our podcast is created for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition, and never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard in this podcast. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tarika Foundation focused on youth mental health. As we are continuing our series, we decided to get some real hands-on tips today for parents who are struggling to keep their kids in online school and wondering about how they can, you know, thrive through the online school. So we are fortunate to have an amazing guest today. Her name is Caitlin Hoffman, who is an academic coach, and she's going to walk us through some practical tips about making this journey a little bit more easy. So welcome, Caitlin. Thank you. So Caitlin, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Right. All right. So I've been in Silicon Valley for almost 30 years and I left a full-time teaching position almost 15 years ago and opened up a coaching center in downtown Campbell for academic intervention, which I'll define, academic coaching. and What I believe in is the parenting and the raising of an adolescent go together. In other words, parent coaching happens at the exact same time as the teenager is coached so that there is less stress in the home and much more, we optimize the academic performance by bringing the stress level way down and empowering youth to take charge of their learning and work practices that are not generally taught in school. So this, uh, for many, many, many years, has been an after-school program. Usually before the pandemic, students would come from 3 in the afternoon till 9 p.m. with very flexible hours. They would come in and we would work around their music activities or art classes or sports. And then with the pandemic, we we changed everything in order to accommodate for this shelter in place and distance learning. So my work is centered around the fact that I spent well over 25 years teaching at the university level, the high school level, the middle school level. I don't generally go down to preschool through fifth grade. However, I did raise a daughter who's 29. (laughs) The idea is that academic coaching is really about taking what's going on during the school day and optimizing the learning capacities. Also, what happens after school? How do you study? How do you be organized? How, How to stay organized? And really what I've noticed is, you know, I tend to really shy away from the term tutor because I feel like that's 60 minutes of one-to-one chemistry help. I'm very interested in a very holistic approach, which is, are you listening in class? Are you learning in class? Are you getting the project done in class? What does it mean when you don't finish it in class? It becomes homework. You know, all these kinds of little details, I'm fascinated with what it takes to be a good student. 
So academic coaching to me is about optimizing your academic performance. Mm-hmm. It's also about helping parents transition from having an elementary school kid to having a preteen, teen, and adult. I'm fascinated with what happens from sixth grade all the way to adulthood. And I feel that the parents need as much coaching as the kids. Very true. Wow. Thank you for that amazing uh, introduction and background, Caitlin. That's really helpful. So let me ask you with some very basic question that I get asked by parents in my work. So, you know, they usually ask me, what is the difference between an academic coach, a tutor, an organizational tutor, and an executive function coach? Right. I want to backtrack and just say a key piece that I left out is because I spent decades inside school systems, I'm also helping parents navigate IEPs, 504 plans, accommodations, so I can go with a parent to meetings and help facilitate, you know, optimizing what happens during the school day, frankly. And so to to kind of try to answer your question, which is really hard to answer in a way, because 15 years ago, academic coaching wasn't really a word. It was sort of just emerging. Mm -hmm. And then a few years ago, executive function became a extremely popular term. So to answer your question, each individual professional comes up with the way they can identify what they can do for a teenager or an elementary school student. And it really depends on their background. So we have psychologists that are specializing in ADHD, ADD, depression, anxiety. And if they are focused on the education piece, they can be an educational specialist. You can have a teacher that becomes an academic coach and due to their experience, they understand the learning style of a student and how to help them navigate their education. Mm -hmm. So I, I think right now it's really mixed up. For me, tutor is very straightforward. It's if you don't understand a math concept and let's say you're not understanding, it's going too fast in the classroom and you need two or three times a week a math specialist to be with your kiddo and just teach, let's say, pre-algebra. That's tutoring. Tutoring to me is subject matter Mm -hmm. and it requires someone who has the strength in that content, but also the ability to teach it and help somebody learn it. Mm -hmm. So just because you're really good at AP chemistry doesn't mean you're going to be good at helping somebody else. So you have to have the ability to have that kid do better on the next test or understand the material. Makes sense. It's kind of hard for me to tease these out because we at Academic Coaching Works, we have instructors that do content area. They're also expert academic coaches and we just put it all together. Hmm. It's very hard to tease those things out. Interesting. Interesting. And I think, you know, our offline chat, I remember you had talked about how actually the executive function in kids is still developing right the brains are not fully developed until at least as far as we know right now is 25 years of age and so it's a little bit of a a nuance to use that term of executive function coach or coaching right you know a lot more about the brain than i do lena i i go off of experience having spent so many years in a row with kids And now that I'm not in the classroom anymore, I can just call it out. I think when you have a teacher in the room, 
who has a fully developed executive function, and then they're expecting their students to have a fully developed brain with those high capacities for executive function, I think that's a recipe for disaster. Mm. And I would like everybody to pull back, the educators, the professionals, the parents, and step back and understand that the brain development of a teenager, it's impossible for them to have 100% executive function. When you have a kid, let's say, who has all these missing assignments and a messed up backpack and all this other stuff, and then you're expecting some executive function coach to show up and fix that, that's absurd. It's going to be a long journey. As the student matures and grows and continues to be educated and on and on and on and on, the brain's developing, developing, developing. And of course, at some point, there's going to be huge growth and much more executive function on board. However, I want to also say the exception here is I know a lot of very, very successful adults like mm -hmm. extremely successful adults. And when I go into their office and there are thousands of papers stacked everywhere and the whole office is a mess, they don't have very good executive function, but guess what? It doesn't matter. They're performing beautifully. Mm -hmm. So why are we expecting every single human on the planet to have this expertise in executive function? I really question all of this. You know, we have an expectation in the classroom that everybody's going to perform at standard with these certain skill sets, but that's really not how we're designed. You know, I think right now the term differentiation means that you will look at each student and where they're at and then have them go on a learning curve that's not too steep and develop these things over time. And I do think we have to model it and we have to have some fair expectations, but I don't think it's fair to think that you can get the executive function skill just by being coached about it. That's actually a really good kind of fact that you're sharing, which is super helpful. And I hope our listeners, our parents who are listening to this episode are going to really understand this valuable, you know, insight about what this really is and how much they need to reset or have different set of expectations. So Caitlin, you know, uh, as you know, I'm a child psychiatrist. Right. Um, I do work with lots of families. I have a lot of very neurotypical kids who are doing well. They were doing quite well in regular school pre-COVID. Now that they've switched to online school, a lot of difficulty they are noticing is with sustaining their motivation. And the parents are really at loss as to how they could help their kids with that. So do you have any like tips for that? Yeah. So I have a lot of ideas about this, and it really depends on how parents have set up their household. Here's what I would have to say. Each kid at home has a different situation, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to remind parents of something that I think is really important when I'm really focusing on adolescence, but I think it's very, very important not to start lecturing your student or doing the inquisition, like, did you do this and that and that and that? Where's this? Uh, I'm looking at your grades on my smartphone here and I'm getting all these notifications. The stress level is going to go through the roof. And all that talking really takes the motivation way down for a teenager. They're panicking already. Mm -hmm. And however they demonstrate that, it will show up as a lack of motivation. So here's what I'm gonna propose, and this takes some thought. Don't talk very much about what's going on. 
that can really shut down a teenager unless they just excessively verbal with you, but that's unusual. A teenager generally no longer wants to have big discussions about academics with their parents. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the development. Um, so what I recommend to parents with motivation dropping is to print out in hard copy, and I will email one of these to you, Lena, but sure. print out in hard copy what you see in terms of grades. Just print it out in hard copy. Don't talk about it. Take a pen and paper and just start writing some little questions or some little notes and leave it on the desk that hopefully your teenager is not working in their bed. I really discourage that. And put it on their desk and give the teenagers some time to reflect and put a big heart on it and say, I love you so much. So proud of you for all the good things you're doing. When a kid shows less motivation, you have to honor all the things they're doing right. And don't hyper-focus on what they're not doing because that's detrimental to the motivation, in my opinion. Less talking and more of a hands-on kind of approach to, I'm going to put this down in writing for you. I would love an answer. You know, text messaging a teen if they like to text. But this confrontation with a lot of talking generally helps bring the motivation down instead Mm -hmm. of up. So it's counterintuitive, but I feel that teenagers in distance learning need a very gentle approach with you as a parent really modeling what you want to see, not talking at them about what they're supposed to do, but modeling. If you yourself are not on your devices constantly and you're expecting your teenager not to play video games instead of doing homework, you yourself have to get off your device. They have to see you without your device in order for them to believe that what you're saying is valid. So teens, teens are extremely good at seeing a contradiction between your actions and what you're saying. So motivating your teenager means doing the things yourself that you want to see your teenager doing. So they're just good at seeing, well, this doesn't add up. My mom says I have to do this, 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 and this, and I don't see the the same thing here. So during this pandemic, people have been in close quarters, very intimately together. And I hear teenagers saying, well, you know, I'm being asked to do these things. And guess what? Everybody's online all the time now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I'm very strict with a mm-hmm. teenager, but I'm so full of love and laughter and humor that the teenager sees, oh, she's being really strict with me. But at the same time, look at that sense of humor and warmth. So this tender love and appreciation for a teenager right where they're at, no condescending sarcasm, put downs, threats, that doesn't going to work at all. So Mm -hmm. I feel that the adults around a teenager need to model the behaviors. Don't talk too much and hand them things that you would like them to respond to in writing. You know, you've got to find a way to communicate that isn't confrontational and critical and judgmental. That's where the motivation just starts to woo, big plunge. I don't know if this makes sense, but it makes total sense to me. Honestly, I think this is really in some ways also going to help parents get some more insight in terms of improving their general communication with their teens, right? They don't like confrontations and confrontations about important topics like academics and grades is even more touchy and and can go wrong. I love that tip. 
So Lena, one thing we need to talk about just really quickly when we're talking about this gentle approach, the contradiction is I don't believe that a teenager right now during the pandemic should have any devices in their bedroom from let's say 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. You cannot negotiate those things. You know, if they're on their laptop during a school day and they're also playing games and on social media, you know, if they're holding their phone and doing all these things on the phone while the class is being taught and all that stuff, you're going to have to pick your battles. And right now, the one thing that I would tell parents of all teenagers is because distance learning is on devices, that is so draining. And so the sleep time and then eating dinner, that time needs to be off devices. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to worry about this before because kids were in classes running around. They'd go from class to class and, you know, they'd be with their friends outside at a table. The problem now is with distance learning is you actually do have to really think about what's happening with devices and how they're being used. That's a tricky one, really hard right now. It's a really tricky one. And I'm getting a lot of calls about that too. Like, what should we do? Should they be allowed to be on their devices? They don't have social contact with their friends. That's the only means they can be socializing. Where should we draw that line? And how much screen time is healthy for them? And how's that gonna impact them? So there's like all these very uh, difficult questions that we are all dealing with as a parent. I'm a parent of a teenager, so I'm trying to pick and choose my battles is kind of how right. I say, I think you kind of walk this delicate dance with them and right. you even you win some, you lose some, but you find what fits with your family values and what fits with what you are understanding is right for your child. So that's amazing point you made. I think that's important kind of tip for parents to really work on. So, you know, the other part that I'm actually hearing a little bit about is some of the parents are feeling like, how should they communicate with the teachers? Where should they draw a line? And I had a particular example from one of the parents I work with. Apparently, this particular teacher, she's really otherwise awesome with the class learning and teaching. But since online has, you know, shifted, she has not been doing as great of a job. And I think it's a hard thing. So we understand right, right. that. So she expects kids to take a test right away. And she's putting some pressure in terms of time within which they have to answer and, you know, finish that test. So this child is getting stressed out. And he tried to request to the teacher about changing their testing style or working with them, but there was no positive response. So what yeah. do we do in this kind of situation, Caitlin? I really love, Lena, that you actually gave me this concrete problem. So there are about 18 families that come to the center every day, and they're sixth grade and all the way up and some college students. So I've been able to see all the different schools, all the different teachers, and looking at how education is being delivered through distance learning. And what parents need to understand is that the educators had to take a quantum leap overnight. And it's just so hard what's happened. Mm -hmm. And so here's what I'm proposing. Now, the funny part is I'm full of compassion for educators because I'm an educator. On the other hand, here's your kid sitting in front of this class and having this experience. So 
I would say to each parent, yes, you have no choice but to hold the educators of your kid accountable mm -hmm. because the impact on that particular kid that you're describing is big. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's big about that impact is it can impact all the other classes. It can impact their sleep. It can impact how they're going to learn long term. Mm -hmm. So you have to intervene. And that's where the academic intervention title comes in. So this requires that you not have a meeting with the kid. Mm -hmm. And the kid cannot even be within hearing distance. I have parents that go in their car to talk to a teacher privately so that the kid is not gonna hear anything. So here's my first recommendation. This is an adult to adult conversation. It is not where the kid has to meet with the teacher. That's already happened and it's failing. Then you have to have your data to have this conversation with a teacher and you need to make a plea, very specific. My kid is having this experience this experience is not working. If the teacher at that point on this just parent to teacher conversation, that's not working, then you have to slowly go up the chain. You have to include the counselor on campus. If there's a 504 plan, you're gonna need to have a full 504 plan meeting. Mm -hmm. If there's no 504 plan, you probably need one because what that experience is, is creating too much anxiety for the kid. And there's so many layers to that problem that you described to me. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is, yes, we respect the fact that educators are being put in a very difficult position, yet the kid is receiving that. And if it's not working for how they learn, mm -hmm. you have to put the kibosh on it because it's gonna escalate, it's gonna get right. worse. So parents are in a weird position because they can actually see how the education is being delivered, right? Right. Just to step back, what I've been advocating to parents is that number one, after three weeks of school has gone by, I don't care what grade level they're at, you need to check in with every teacher because you need to ask the teacher, how is it going? What things can we do to help our kid? That's a great time to have a little bit of relationship and mm -hmm. find out if the teacher is willing to give anything a do-over, an extension, no grade penalties. You have to ask for the moon. And then when you don't get what you really need, you're going to have to go over their heads because it's not okay for the anxiety to escalate. You have to be your kid's advocate, but I'm just asking that you have those adult-to-adult -adult discussions because I'm gonna tell you, it's more anxiety producing for the kid to hear that. If a kid is a great advocate for themselves and they talk to their teachers all the time and meet with them, you know, a lot of kids are meeting with their teachers one-to-one -one outside of class. Fantastic. But if your kid is already building up things, if they hear their parent talking to the teacher, it's like, whoa, it's just too much. So remember, we are adults. We can talk to educators privately without the kid present. Teachers love to say, I want my students to advocate for themselves. That's all well and good, as long as it's not increasing the depression, the anxiety, the lack of motivation. You got to really look at the situation. I totally agree with you. And I see so many kids in my office with anxiety disorders and depression. And one of the attributing factors was this academic stress piece, right? And so I love the fact that you're saying you need to take this seriously. 
You need to advocate for your child, do it in an appropriate manner, and make sure you're trying to de-escalate the situation. I want to throw out a couple of great solutions. Mm -hmm. You actually don't have to stay in that class because guess what? Right now, let's say it's not solvable. You can take that class online with a different school. We have lots of choices. High schools, we have Brigham Young University online high school classes that meet the requirements of CSU, UC approved courses. You can ask for a different teacher. It's okay right now to ask for a change, whatever that is. So I would not leave a student in a class where it's not getting resolved for more than a couple of weeks because like I said, it can impact the whole day. It can impact their sleep. It can impact everything. I don't know. But I don't think right now it's a good thing to let something go on and on and on and on without intervening. Intervention is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. We need to kind of capture that ripple effect that this one small thing is going to lead to, right? So super helpful, Caitlin. I am so delighted you are here and giving us some real good pearls of wisdom. You know, I have one more question for you, kind of two parts. So we are talking about neurotypical kids so far, but what about the ones who have additional needs, kids who've already been diagnosed with conditions like ADHD, learning differences or other challenges? I think that's been particularly hard for those kids, even in this kind of change of online learning kind of world. So you know, how do parents support for that? And at what time do they reach out to somebody like you and look into interventions Mm -hmm. that you provide? I want to make sure I understand the question. If you already have an IEP, you already have a 504 plan, you already been diagnosed, is that you're asking for those kids? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're doing with all of our new clients and existing clients is we're basically doing a meeting now. So here's the deal. Distance learning is so different that whatever you had as an IEP and a 504 plan prior to the pandemic, prior, it needs to be looked at again. It needs to be looked at in terms of, is it meeting the needs of the fact that now it's distance learning? Mm. So fortunately, what I like is going on this school year is most schools, private and public, are definitely scheduling these meetings. They're so positive because we're asking for the meeting in order to check in with everybody. And everybody so far this school year has been so wonderful. We are tweaking and changing accommodations completely, Mm. revamping, because we need something different. And most teachers are being so accommodating. They understand that when we say, hey, listen, we're using Google Classroom and Canvas and submitting this over here on a YouTube video and then you shut it down and the kid couldn't submit it and now they have a zero. You know, the teachers are like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Let me open that back up for you. So we're finding right now that if you have an IEP or a 504 plan, the best thing you can do is write a loving, polite, professional email. Ask for the team to meet. It doesn't matter if your IEP annual isn't now. Have a meeting because you will feel so much better talking to the team mm-hmm. and, and coming up with new ideas 
based on what we've seen, because most kids have had enough school right now, you can tell how it's going. And if your kid is doing really well, you should still have the meeting because you want to hear the positive feedback. If your kid has an IEP and they have straight A's, do it anyway, because that's going to make your teen feel so good. It's good to get good news. You should get good news. I wouldn't hold back on that. It might take you three weeks to get it scheduled, but I think the teachers are really happy to give the feedback in writing, in the meeting. And if it's not going well, it's really time right now to step it in before we get too close to the end of the semester. The worst thing for stress is to wait until the very end when it's all a mess. Right now you have time. You have a lot of time. So it's a perfect opportunity right now. We're in our, what, fourth day of fall. This is the time to step in. Good or bad, it doesn't matter. I would check in with the whole team and ask if things are not going well, ask the questions. How can we make this better? What can we do to better support? How can we change the accommodations? What are you offering? And I encourage parents to ask for no grade penalties. If it's written in the syllabus that if it's a day late, it's half off, I would not accept that. Unacceptable. That goes into the kid's GPA. It's on their transcript. They're going to use it to apply to colleges. That is not a fair game to take points off for late work right now during a pandemic when the stress is so high. I don't like grade penalties. I just don't like them. It's not useful to anybody. It's not useful. It's not fair. I totally am with you on that, Caitlin. So it sounds like you were mentioning earlier, you do help navigate some of these advocacy meetings at school. So is that where they could reach out to you for academic intervention? So right now what I'm doing is if you go on to Academic Coaching Works website, there are two PDFs. You fill out the forms, you email them to me, and you hire me to do a consult where I will spend, if you want to come to Campbell to the center and do it with distancing and masks, you can do it in person or we can do it on Zoom. But let's say you have an existing IEP, you would pay me for a consult, you would send me the IEP, send me your last assessment, I'll spend a couple hours reading it, I'll go on Zoom with you and I'll just kind of do a little checkup. You don't necessarily have to bring me to your meeting. I might just plan it with you or help you write an email. Everybody's at a different point in this. Some parents are just experts. I'm amazed. Mm -hmm. They should become coaches tomorrow. Um, Some parents don't have as much information. So it's a good thing to reach out to me because I don't call myself an advocate because that can be a little bit threatening to a district. I'm really your partner and I want everything to go well. I like to smooth everything out, make everything. So I just start with the lowest interventions and work on making the school day better for your kid and making the time you spend with your teen at home better. I really like the idea of lowering stress. This is very dark humor, but I like to put the fun back in dysfunctional. (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. I'm feeling so, so honored to introduce you and your wonderful (laughs) resources to the community. I hope the parents and listeners listening to this episode are really going to use the tips and the resources you provide. So thank you. Thank you again, uh, Caitlin, for really being here. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much.
I so much appreciate you having me. Thank you. And listeners, we'll be back with another useful and hands-on tips kind of episode shortly. Till then, stay safe and healthy. And you're listening to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tarika Foundation. And I'm your host, Dr. Lina Kanzode. Take care. Thank you for listening to Mindful, Beautiful and Thriving, a podcast series by Tarika Foundation focused on youth mental health. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Stay safe and healthy. Till next time.